Hey, what's good, everybody? Hey, are you an educator struggling with time and money? I mean, are we all? <laughs> well, I want you to meet my friend Alex Sierra, a certified financial planner with Cetera Investors, and he's here to help. Specializing in working with educators, Alex understands the challenges we face from low pay to complex retirement systems. His team specializes in holistic financial planning, focusing on your goals and creating actionable plans to improve your chances of success. Visit his website at www.toriandalex.cetarainvestors.com slash tudope, T-O-O-D-O-P-E, to schedule an initial virtual consultation with Alex. Mention the code TUDOPE on your meeting and receive 25% off their subscription-based financial planning packages. You can get more info and a link to their website in the podcast description. Cetera Investors is the marketing name of Cetera Investment Services. Securities and insurance products are offered through Cetera Investment Services, LLC, doing insurance business in California as CFG STC, Insurance Agency, LLC. Member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Cetera Investment Advisors, LLC, California Insurance License Number 0L05650. Alexander Sierra CFP is located at 605 East Huntington Drive, Suite 203 Monrovia, California 91016, and can be reached at phone number 626-408-1333, extension 306. Sometimes it's just a, a Chicano log in the sense that it's a monologue because I like to talk. Uh, Y'all know I like to talk. Um, if you are just finding the show, congratulations. Um, you can subscribe to the Chicano Logs, which is a Tudo production, um, by heading over to Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Audible. We're like everywhere that you find podcasts. Um, just search for the Chicano Logs. If you like what we're hearing, uh, what you're hearing when you listen to the show, uh, give us a five-star rating. Give us a good review. And if you don't like it, keep it moving, all right? Because I don't need that kind of aggravation in my life. Um, I'm, like, really excited for this guest that you all get to listen to. Um, as you all may know, it's Hispanic slash Latine uh, Heritage Month. At the time that we're recording this, we're right in the middle of the month, and um, my belief is that you will be hearing this. It's kind of the thrilling finale to um, to Latina Heritage Month. Um, it's it's been really interesting. If you're interested in hearing some of my takes on this Heritage Month, I've been thinking about this a lot, especially as I've gotten into my own research or identity and trying to understand like what this little Eastside Chicanito has to like offer to the dialogue and offer to the conversation. Um, I've given a lot of thought 
around this. Um, and uh, if you want to read some of those thoughts, head over to my Substack, uh, Illosopher Writes, and uh, where I'm trying to write some stuff, um, doing that kind of thing. But I'm going to do a quick introduction of my friend, Francoise Denou, um, the homegirl, as I'll call her. Um, Francoise is an ABAR educator and educational activist from Chile. Viva Chile! Viva Chile! Um, <laughs> That's right. She was an immigrant who spoke about the struggles and complexity complexities of identity at the Race Institute and the Barnes Foundation. She has an MED in early childhood and elementary education. She believes that fostering critical consciousness skills should start at an early age through decolonial praxis and equitable, gender-inclusive ABAR curriculums. For her, languages have the potential to be windows to be pers to perspectives and bridges of understanding. Uh, currently, she's working as a speaker, a writer, a coach, a teacher of teachers, and a consultant. Um, she's also the owner of the dope social media account, especially on Instagram, the woke Spanish teacher. Francoise, amiga, ¿cómo estás? Hola, hola. Aquí estamos. Con un poquito de frío acá en Chile, pero... Like yeah. very good. Um, sorry about the Spanish. This is what happens. No, don't you need to apologize? <laughs> well, you speak two languages. I speak one point three six languages. Um, <laughs> it's there, but yeah. So in so it's kind of chilly in Chile, huh? Yeah, <laughs> it is. I mean, that's a no joke, but it's the right now. That's true. That that yeah. is true because we are changing seasons. We just had like a spring equinox, and it was. We had really beautiful days. I went to do yoga mm. at the beach. Very California style. Yeah. That's oh, how Chile, that's very cool. That's how Chile rolls. So and we were thinking, oh, spring is here. And then the weather was like, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> we're not ready to let you into the sunny days yet. <laughs> nope, not yet. No, let you be a little bit cold for a little bit. Um, I have always wanted to go to, to Chile. It just seems like such an interesting and fascinating place obviously there's a history there that is yes. that is mixed right there are mm -hmm. some really beautiful a lot of really beautiful things in history and then there are also um some there's some ugliness from those times and um but i um but i really just have there's a literary culture that i that like tradition that I would love to connect with Neruda Mistral, like those folks. So, um, viva Chile, like we say. Viva, viva. Um, well, I wanna, I wanna start off, and and you know, I imagine that a lot of people who are listening right now um, do actually follow your content and follow the the things that you do um, because you've built an incredible following of folks who are really wanting the things that you're doing. But be before we kind of get into that, mm -hmm. um, your story is like super unique. Um, <laughs> so I would love to have you share a little bit about the path that led you into teaching. Um, and, you know, some of the, some of your ideas, your beliefs that, that kind of led you into that work and kept you in that work. Oh my goodness. I, I'm feeling like Isabella Allende now, like writing my own <laughs> biography, you know, uh, that's right. But I, that's one right. day, one day I'm going to write my memoir. So I was, um, I always wanted to travel. I come uh, from a family of immigrants. My one of my great grandfathers was um, 
French and the other one was British. And they came at the beginning of the last century to Chile. Uh, and then I discovered through family, you know, um, heritage uh, research of my own family to discover that we have apellidos conversos, that we were also mm -hmm. um, from the uh, Sephardic uh, community in the, okay. in the peninsula. So, so I, yeah. I come from a family of travelers. And I always wanted to travel. So um, when I when it was time to get to college, I uh, I wanted to study journalism or uh, to become a lawyer. And mm. you have to take a test in Chile. You have to take a standardized test. And um, right. I do for you, both you of those or for for law for all of it. You take the test, okay. and it's what place you in in the college. You know, in the oh, interesting. The okay. Unless it's private, and and of course I didn't have money for that because I grew up in a marginalized neighborhood. That that I'm, this is where I am now. Mi población, yeah. we call it población. So yeah. I was I was thinking to not apply into that, and then I was missing a few points in the score. And my mom is like, huh. a friend, you're not gonna stay one year without studying, like with your score." why don't you apply to pedagogy in English? Because you already really like it. You like languages and all that. And I'm like, it would be fine for one year, you know? And then when I apply, I I apply on the second like wave of applications. And I immediately got in and then it's um I got a scholarship. Uh, the Minister yeah. of Education was paying for my education and I we were we didn't have money. So I had to take it. And I thought, oh, it's going to be only one year. Then I'm going to move to another career. And then I sort of started falling in love with pedagogy because, you know, I went to university. I'm going to reveal my age here. <laughs> <laughs> I went to in the 90s. So it was right after we were uh, out of dictatorship, you know. So a lot of my teachers that were from the because my degree is uh, English pedagogy plus educational sciences. So a lot of my teachers from that campus were activists and they they knew what happened during dictatorship. They were very strong on Paulo Freire, Bell Hooks, yeah. and uh, all the liberation uh, pedagogy. And I, I fell in love with that. And I thought, oh, you know, idealistically, <laughs> we can change the world, you know, doing this. So yeah. I stay, become a te I became a teacher. I went to United States as a nanny uh, when I finished college, and then I came back. I I was a teacher here in Chile in a bilingual school, and then this opportunity as an exchange teacher came to me, and I went to to um, Atlanta, Atlanta as they call okay. it. Yeah. So yep. I went to uh -huh. yeah Atlanta, and I worked there first with. Um, in African-American school, and I learned so much. Those teachers were my cheerleaders, my sisters. They I, they were amazing. And yeah. then I started working and teaching ES, ESL um, to immigrant children, and I became part of this community of immigrants in the school, you know, where yeah. we help each other, where we tra train parents so they can help their kids at home, helping in the parent-teacher conference, and... It was uh, it was very heart motivated. Yeah. It was something that became. I mean, I was a teacher, of course. It was my profession, 
but it was also my people. So uh, that's that. Uh, that's when all the Freire, you know, hooks, everything that I learned in the university started right. coming into action. And then, uh, you know, it's so hard to, the public schools are not, most of them are not allowed to hire uh, international teachers, immigrant teachers. Right. So yep. they don't have pay uh, money for the paperwork. They don't want to pay for that. So when my exchange finished, I work in private schools, really privileged, where I got right. to experience the, the, what it is to live in whiteness. And yeah. it was really tough. I love my students. I love my students wherever I go, but it was yeah. really tough to survive the grown-ups in those environments. So mm. I was there, and then I moved to Philadelphia. I work in a fairly progressive school, still very white. Yep. So yep. I that's when, uh, but it was there where I met my equity diversity director in that school, and she's like, Fran, you're doing so many wonderful things. Why don't you present? And I had already started my woke Spanish teacher because of one of my mm-hmm. Colombian friends living in the United States too. It's like, friend, people, we met at the People of Color Conference. And she's like, you need to have a professional Instagram because a lot of people would like to share their ideas yeah. with you and they can learn from you too. So this is how it started. I started the page and then the, it was my diversity equity director at that school that told me you need to present. And I presented mm. at a conference and, and that's that was the beginning. This is how yeah. uh, the way was paved. It was all like sort of like I work really hard, but it was yeah. also providential. Like, I feel yeah. like the universe put the right people around me to encourage mm. me. Because sometimes, you know, being an immigrant um, yep. in the United States, you get this imposter syndrome that yeah. maybe you are not that great because most of the positions, yep. especially in the, the teaching of Spanish or world languages, very white and English dominated in the United States. Yeah. So they make yep. you feel like an imposter, even in your own cultural language. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. When you have someone great that you already admire telling you that telling you that you are great too, and then mm. there is so many things that you can do and that you can influence other people to, you know, to be more inclusive, to to rethink the way they are thinking, to deconstruct themselves. Ah, it's just wonderful. Yeah, you know? yeah. That's oh man, this is. There's so much that resonates um, with me about your journey, and um, and I didn't know all the details. We I think when we met, um, you were still in Philadelphia, and that's where yeah. you you were having some challenges around oh. uh, immigration status. And horrible, um, see. Yeah, and um, but I think it's so fascinating. I want to want to drill down a little bit mm-hmm. into something that you referenced early. Mm-hmm. which was that you were kind of born into this activist tradition in this transitional point between the end of the dictatorship in Chile and and this kind of new moment um, where those mm-hmm. activists who were fortunate enough to live um, mm-hmm. started building something new. Um, and so you said that was about at the time that you were the equivalent of high school kind of going into college is that about when that yeah was? in high school I went to a high school that back in the day was 
a new school open, but teachers that were forbidden to teach in dictatorship times. Wow. So they were very strongly into 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 politics, you know, and into yeah. history. So I feel very blessed and lucky to have received mentorship from these uh teachers, you know, and in yeah. a way that there was a culture of protest in my school and a yeah, lot of my yeah. my former classmates uh from upper grades maybe not from my same grade but from upper grades they are in politics now they are like wow. in the communist party or the socialist yeah. party they are part of the the you know the left side government yeah they're keeping that know. progressive tradition yeah. going yeah, and they and they were true to their beliefs. It's not like they, it was like a fade. It was fashion. No, for it was yeah. serious. I remember going to my first protest in my own school uh, yeah. there. And then my, my university was very highly politicized because it was, I mean, imagine they put a duct tape on your mouth for 16 years and then it's yeah. soft. The yep. only thing you want to do is like talk, talk, talk. And if yeah. there is a complaint, it's, there were protests all the time. So I grew up around that, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, and it was it was great because I went to uh, elementary school and middle school, all girls where the military will come and check that we had the picture of Pinochet in our classroom. Ooh. This is how strong it is. It was, yeah. it was. It was this, um, you know, they call it in Chile, they had this called uh, olla presión. It's like a pressure cooker. Yeah. It was like that. Yeah. And then it's like, boom, everything yep. is out. And I went in my teenage years and then my 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 youth into this revolution that involved yeah. being in the educational field. So, wow. Yeah. I mean, Man. it's trauma. It's trauma, but it's also a blessing. Hundred you know? percent. Yeah, it's man. I feel like I feel like I could just. I feel like I just want to do an interview with you about just about Chile during and after Pinochet because I, I was a Latin American studies major in uh, college and it was right or so I was um, I was in college I think. Um, when things started to open up and you know people like information start like i remember one class uh we read the the book of um uh, miguel itin uh clandestino yeah. in chile which was really really impact man I, I just feel like i could talk to you about that but but i think the thing that is taking shape for me right now as you share this part of your story is that the idea of liberation, the idea yeah. of decolonization and inclusion, it comes from a very deep sense of praxis that you grew yes. up with. Like Ferreira talks about there's no authentic learn, there's no authentic teaching that isn't the, at the same time a praxis. So mm -hmm. when you talk about these teachers who came from activist traditions mm -hmm. they were very much living the things that they were teaching and i think that's really powerful yes. um so it just gives me a lot of um really wonderful context to the work that you mm -hmm. do that you were doing then and that you're continuing to do now um so one of the things that comes up with me a lot and it's why i started the chicano logs is mm -hmm. is to look at identity questions around among like latine folks mm -hmm. um 
And because I, I'm a I'm a Chicano, my mother's white. My dad came from Mexico yeah, when you know he was a teenager, um, and so we all have these really complex identities. Talk a little bit about the identities that you carry, and how do you reflect on those as part of kind of our our raza, our, our comunidad, and so on. So uh, I never had to question my identity until I came to the United States. And I'm glad because yeah. I've learned a lot from the movement, you know, from the movement that is to reflect on identity and things. Like before moving to the United States, I was Chilean. And of course, in Chile, I'm white in a sense yeah. that it's my skin tone. Uh, right. you know, uh, and I never reflect on the privilege I carry until mm. I moved to the United States and I started going to the, I don't know, the race Institute or, or getting educated by black people right. and really in black women. Like I say it every, in every presentation that I have, I owe a lot to black women, not only yeah. in the writings that I've read, like Audre Lorde and Bell Hooks, you know, but yeah. also in the women that were kind enough to explain things to me when I it was so foreign, you know, because I was trained yeah. in praxis, Freire, but never talking about a race or anything like that. Right. So I never got yeah, to Yeah, Freire came out of very much a, a class consciousness sort claro. of perspective. And there's less of a racial analysis in, in Freire, at least in Freire's early work. In his later work, you start seeing a little bit of it yes. sort of finding its way in. But yeah, to your point, that's absolutely right. Um, that that racial consciousness is something that we've a lot of us who live in the legacies of of conquest and colonization mm -hmm. have had to you know, unpack ourselves. Sorry, I interrupted you. I just got excited. No, no, <laughs> it's but it's great that you that you also speak about that because it's like it it puts everything in context. You know, it's like it, the problem in in Latin America that I see is that everybody it's like oh there is classism and classism, but classism is racism, and it's That's colorism. Right. But there are no converse, serious conversations about that. I think right now everything is like, oh, this is the United States influence that we're speaking about that. No, no, it's actually <laughs> black people everywhere that have raised the flag of concern and, yeah. and have put in the table that we talk about that. So in summarization, <laughs> when mm -hmm, I went to the United yeah. <laughs> States, it's like, who am I? Because I'm yeah. not white there. I'm white right. here, but I'm over there. I'm a racialized right. immigrant. So I don't like the umbrella terms. Uh, the word Hispanic, it just gives me allergies, you know, yeah. because it ties me <laughs> to the colonizer. Same. And then, Same. But um, when I went to the People of Color conferences, um, I found my people, the people that I that can talk to me about immigration and, and, and forced assimilation, stuff like that, in the Latine group. So yeah. I, even though I know how problematic this umbrella terms can be, uh, that's one of the terms that I am not too uncomfortable with. But if you ask me, yeah. I'm Chilean and, and that's part of my identity because I went through dictatorship because I'm Chilean and it's, you know, um, I'm also, you know, um, a racialized immigrant in the United States. And in Chile, I have the privilege of being white, even though I grew up right. in a marginalized, you know, yep. uh, community. 
So I would say I'm coming to terms in discovering my family history. And now I see why all my indigenous that show up on my DNA test, you know, was hidden. Because in my family, everybody was proud about my French grandfather. And let let me tell you, the French didn't even show up on my DNA. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> didn't even say oh, hi. Oh, that's ironic. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So it's like mostly um, Iberian Peninsula, some uh, Jewish there, and then uh, Native American, you know, indigenous uh, in, in, a, in a large larger quantity that I thought. Right. Uh, I know this is not exact, but it was like a wake-up call and say, Fran, what are the stories in your family that have been hidden? Because everybody wants to be European here. And they they don't talk about your abuelita que era indígena, tampoco hablan That's de right. tu, like everybody Catholic, they are not talking yep. about your apellidos conversos, your converse last yep. names. So these are things that are part of my personal healing and therapy. So I I'm 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 a mix of everything, but I would say it's in reconciling so many identities in myself. Sure. And I always see there is there is a connection to the past that was trying to be hidden. For example, I come back to my to my neighborhood, my always my the where I grew up, and a lot of people are healing themselves with herbs, you know. And this is it was so natural to me. And when I moved to the United States, I'm like, these people are taking so many pills. <laughs> that was yeah. my first cultural shock, yeah, you that's know. That's the truth. Yeah. And and I was like this is indigenous what yep. we do here is indigenous there is also in chile like isabella Allende wrote in the house of the spirits this mm-hmm. fine line between what is unseen and seen that we actually yeah. lived that we actually believe it exists yeah. there is magic realism yeah. everywhere it's not a fad it's not a fashion it's not a um, you know, a, uh, a style, a writing style thing. It is our life. We lived right. in this magic realism. So there are so many things that come from um, our ancestors that are not European. That we yeah, live day to day. My Chilean dialect. My Chilean yeah. dialect has so many words from Aymara. I'm from the north of Chile. So it has more oh, okay. Aymara than Mapuche, but it has Mapuche okay. words, Aymara. My first word I was reading my book that my mom wrote when I was a baby. My first mm-hmm. word was Wawa. And Wawa is the word for baby. This is how we call babies in Chile. Uh, uh-huh. Wawa is the word for baby and Aymara. So my oh, first wow. word was Aymara. It wasn't even Spanish. <laughs> that is amazing. I know, right? So uh, those are things that I never questioned myself before until I went to the United States <laughs> and I dissect everything that I am or was or where or will be, you know? Yeah. So, I think it's it, it's so interesting um, because the more of our Latine folks that I connect with who who, who have done a lot of this reflective identity work and who've really, you know, tried to learn more about our histories and our our, and our herencia, like all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, it's it's like so many of us have one thing in common. It's not that it's not that we learn things about ourselves that are unfamiliar. It's more along the lines of discovering a past 
that we feel nostalgia for, even though we never lived it. And I think about, you know, I, I went to, I went to Mexico as a, as you know, as a recent college graduate spent three months, just kind of riding the buses around the country uh, with a friend. And, um, and it was the wildest thing because I didn't feel like I was new there. Um, particularly when I got mm. down to like La Capital, where my dad's from, mm. and you know, places like Chapultepec and um, okay. you know, Nesa, where my dad's mm. from, like like the Doctores del Valle, the Tianguis, mm. all these things. Um, and what was really striking to me was that it didn't feel unfamiliar at all. And I think it is one of those things like we we have this connection like in our bodies. It's not it doesn't even need mm -hmm. to live in our active memory. Um, and that's, that's really powerful. Yeah. I mean, you start asking Latina people, so tell me about your identities and it gets, it, there's a lot of layers to it. And then you use the word that I think is really pertinent for us mm -hmm. in this moment. And that's healing, because I think that, and, and I, it sounds like you and I are kind of of the same generation, like as yes. we have kind of matured learning that there are lots of different ways that we show up and and that that's okay and that we need to own those things and um and and really just establish a connection to them um so what one of the things that um and i and it, it's kind of it's kind of cool to watch because like like i said when you and i first connected um mm -hmm. it was you were in a crisis moment and it was yes. this moment of like really profound uncertainty mm -hmm. but as i've kind of continued to to follow your work on the the woke spanish teacher account um it's incredible to see just a steady rise of of what you're doing um more people are engaging with your content like online and it's really funny because every now and then you'll you'll post like something to your story saying okay so i have a whole lot of new followers and so i just want to kind of share with you this is what's going on and i feel like <laughs> i see that a lot because your following is really developing. Um, you're like a hemispheric force, man. Like, <laughs> like, Gracias. you know, um, no, seriously, like you're doing, you're presenting, you're doing trainings, you're teaching all over the Americas. Um, how do you reflect on the last few years? Like, did you, like, I know that you had a lot of people pushing you and encouraging mm -hmm. you and teaching you, but did you think that you would be a name known from, like Canada, hasta what did what did Chese hasta los estrechos de Magallanes, right? <laughs> like all those kinds of things. Did you think that you would get to that point? How do you reflect on these last few years? I mean, I think you never imagine the reach that you're gonna have. Because when I started my account, I had like like fourteen likes in a post, and. Mm. Um, <laughs> You know, and it was just my desire to share with the world. Like I thought Praxis a la Freire was so good that I wanted everybody to do it with their students. And I was seeing my students feeling so loved and included and revitalizing their identities that I wanted every teacher to do. Like it came from the heart. You know, my yeah. rising sign of an astrology like um, uh, fan, you know, my rising yeah. sign is Leo and Leo that's everything from the heart and it has this fire so I think it started like that 
but as as you say, I get so many followers and so many people unfollow me every time about I talk about transgender people mm, and yeah. the rights and inclusive language. But I yeah. think I've never pictured being this uh big, if you want to call it like that, but I enjoy spreading what I think it's really good. And I'm I'm a youth advocate. I'm a children's yeah. advocate. So where whatever I do, I think, okay, the teachers are amazing. They are my colleagues. We let's grow together. But also always my my objective, my goal is always the children that are gonna be affected. You know, that the impact is gonna go to them. And it's like, how are they gonna feel in those classrooms? When their teachers yep. start, you know, showing mirror windows and sliding doors, when the teachers yeah. that, um, use neo pronouns and the kids that are non-binary are going to feel so welcome. So I, that's my goal. It's so with yeah. the students, you know, so I'm glad and I wish I would be bigger and I wish everybody would be doing these amazing things, you know, and growing. And, you know, when you start doing these as a teacher, what we talk, uh, amigo, you heal yourself too, because it's yeah. also deconstructing yourself. It's also like seeing where the problematic status quo mainstream beliefs block your life and didn't yeah. let you be who you were meant to be, you know? That's right. And, and, That's and right. you are like, oh, these layers are off me now. I can teach like liberation teaching like can do freedom teaching i can do helpful teaching and not teach for the status quo not teach yeah. for the you know um colonized epistemologies it's just freedom and when everybody is on the boat i'm just happy and i wish more people were in the same boat you know yeah and i no wish doubt. it would be bigger you know <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's growing, right? Like, I mm -hmm. think that's the that's the thing. I, I spent the last year, um, you know, working on a fellowship that was meant to kind of combat some of the harmful legislation and and policy changes that are happening in a lot of uh, United States schools. And um, one thing that folks who would silence voices like yours and the children that that you that you advocate for they they want the rest of the world to believe that they're the majority they're not yes they're not the majority of folks are willing to keep an open mind and hear um so you're quickly becoming my life coach <laughs> in this <laughs> because i think i think that so much of what you're sharing is like you're not talking about marketing you're not talking about like putting something out there that people want, you are talking about being you. And, mm -hmm. you know, and that's one thing that I really appreciate about your, about following particularly your Instagram account is that sometimes it's affirmations um, that are so yes. simple and so needed. Sometimes you're dropping like straight knowledge, particularly when it comes to inclusive language. And after the break, mm -hmm. we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, yes. And then other times you're bringing us with you in your own learning process. Mm -hmm. And I think that type of vulnerability, it's just really unusual on social media because you know how it is. People got to come and act like they know everything. They have it all figured out and, and folks are afraid to be vulnerable. And I think that's actually why we're facing some of the, I don't know, like difficulties that we're facing mm -hmm. because 
people aren't willing to say, yeah, actually, I'm not that educated about trans kids. Yeah, I'm actually not that educated about inclusive language in a language that is is traditionally uh, gendered and patriarchal, mm -hmm. right? And so yes. um, I just think that that's such an incredible thing to kind of look at. And it, and it sends me some messages about, you know, about trusting my own self, um, yes. just like you. So we're going to take a really quick little break um, to shout out um, Alex and Tori at Cetera. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the woke Spanish teacher space. We're going to talk about interrogation of the Spanish language and mm -hmm. um, an advocacy for trans youth. Um, and uh, and then we'll kind of take it from there. So um, before I do that, okay. um, Francois, as a mm -hmm. as a teacher, have you... Um, have you been able to, is it easy to build generational wealth? Is that a thing that just is like, oh yeah, I'm a teacher, whatever. I'm going to, I'm going to retire to the Islas Canarias, like all that kind of stuff. That That's, that's easy, right? That's what all teachers can do. Am I right? Oh my goodness. I wish. I mean, yeah, me uh, there is um lack of financial education uh, generalized. I think everywhere because yeah. I see it in my country too. And also, of course, we're underpaid. We do so yep, much, everywhere. And, uh, but I, I, but I think it's also the lack of education that that. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a. I, I think that's a good. I mean, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think that's a good way to put it. That that a lot of us who um worked most or all of our careers as teachers just kind of took for granted that we're just not going to have money where, you know, hopefully mm -hmm. we get a good pension and, yes. you know, um, get, get a good state retirement. But in, in this day and age, uh, a lot of those things are kind of uncertain, but fortunately, oh, yeah. Amiga, my friends, Alex and uh, Tori at Satera investors are trying to find a way to help teachers, especially, um start building generational wealth tori's mom um is a retired or she's still a teacher she's either still a teacher um, or she's retired and so they have a lot of like motivation to kind of support teachers so um there folks as you uh know uh, alex and tori are are our sponsors of of this podcast and other two dope productions and they're just doing some really dope work um using subscriptions and using different ways to help folks who maybe can't afford to, you know, invest hundreds of dollars a month mm -hmm. um, and, and pay that close attention. Alex is familiar with all those things. He's familiar with pensions and 403Bs and other kinds of things that, um, that uh, may come up. So uh, if you're interested as an educator um, at any point in your uh, career to learn a little bit about how you can start building wealth uh, for yourself and for um, for the next generations, um, go to Satera Investors, Tori and Alex's website, and it's linked in the show. And if you put in two dope, you get twenty five percent off of your first oh, wow. sort of thing. And and they'll, he, Alex will even do a, a consultation. And um, he's super young and super smart. Like it's wild. I'm like, man, if I would have known this much about finance when I was your age. Um, you know, maybe, maybe my, my life would be different, but my life is perfect. I got, I got a great family and I have an amazing podcast and I'm sitting here talking yes. to my friend, Francois Tenu, uh, La, La Chilena Unica that, um, is your speaking truth. So let's talk about the woke Spanish teacher, uh, virtual space, Instagram account. 
Um, so, all right, your IG is fierce. It's informed. <laughs> it's powerful. Like, and I know you mentioned um, early in the conversation that you had colleagues and friends saying to you, you know, friend, you really got to put this stuff online. Mm -hmm. Like people, people want to hear these yes. ideas. Um, it's been so cool to watch your journey through it over the years and just like just how the content just is so continuously good and powerful. So tell me a little bit about the importance of your um, social media presence. So I, I don't like the word influencer, but I think um, if people who have the right knowledge uh, become influencers, you know, in, in any field, in any field in the, you know, in the spectrum, it's great, you know. Um, it is hard to be online and keep the presence because, you know, there was a time yeah. when social justice became trendy and I had a lot of people, yep. you know, coming to my space with second intentions. They, um, you know, mm. they, um, they invite me here and there. And then a lot of them, you know, co-opted my content or rephrased my content in conferences or name yeah. they never supported my space and they name drop me to give validity to their you know to their oh, wow. uh, uh to their speeches or whatever so the, it it feels at least in the word language uh feel where it's where i move it feels very phony you know yeah but on yep. the other side it was amazing to come to social media and discover there were so many teachers doing, uh, not not necessarily in my field, doing a lot of things for liberatory pedagogy, you know? And, it, and it, I yep. didn't feel so alone because I've always been an island in every school yep. that I go to. So it's like, uh, and especially in my latest years when I was teaching Spanish and I was seeing all this trend, la gringería que le digo yo, which is uh, to, yeah. like to anglicize Spanish to teach it. And then there's yeah. this, there's people in this cult. I mean, United States is very cultish. So you're going to yeah. find oh, cults yeah. for everything. And this is a cult <laughs> of, so well of how you need to teach. And it's these patterns in this and then my the person that I had to work with that was in an upper position than me was in black cold. And said, so how do yeah. you dialogue with a person that is not even from your culture or speaks your language as a first language? Yeah. That for me is so important because, you know, a lot of there are there are gringos even claiming nativeness, amigo, if you could believe it. Man, uh, no, I believe it. I've seen it. It's obnoxious. I mean... <laughs> I said, if you are not racialized and discriminated because of the language you speak, then you should stay in your lane. Because, you know, if yep. if it's your, I'm racialized because of my language, I have problems, uh, I have str immigration struggles because of that. Yep. So if you are not, if you have a, you know, uh, if you were born speaking English or you don't have ancestors tied to those uh, that went through, you know, all the struggles that is to speak Spanish and being racialized yeah. for that. You have no say in our, you know, no, that's in our right. business. That's right. Well, 
and that's the thing that's mm. getting so frustrating is that, and this is something that my partner and I talk about a lot, mm. is that now, now as, as I'm sure you have seen, um, these uh, dual language immersion schools are like the all the rage. Mm. And what we're learning is that it is a lot of like niños gringos that See? are benefiting from this because kind of kind of like like you talked about being facing discrimination as a racialized immigrant as a linguistically racialized immigrant this is this is exactly it when it's one of us who speak spanish as our first language but our command of english is still developing it's seen as a it's seen as a deficit and but if you happen to be an american-born uh white person who is fluent in spanish then it's seen as such an amazing strength and it's that double standard and now in these dual language, sorry, I have to get on this soapbox somehow, somewhere. Um, but now what we're seeing in these dual language immersion schools is that kids like me who weren't born speaking Spanish, like my parents mm-hmm. spoke it to keep secrets from us. Um, and I <laughs> went back to claim my language as an adult. I wouldn't have had a chance to get into one of these schools because I wasn't a, I wasn't the right kind of Latino that didn't speak English, but who wanted that connection to his language. So just the colonization of, yes. of a language that's already a colonizing force in our history mm. is um, it's a lot to carry. Sí, la gringería. Que le digo yeah, yo. la gringería. That's, a, that's, that's my term that I need to coin yeah. somewhere. I love that word. I love that I word. Know that I'm gonna, gonna start citing it. it. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, I'm I'm as gonna my... start citing it. I'm like, as the scholar Francois Tenu says, la gringería. La gringería. La gringería. It's, it's just taking something that it's um uh, not that's supposed to be sacred and turn it into something uh, profitable for the market. That's right. And it's that's right. And that's see, and that's the problem in in the United States that. For example, I mean, the teaching of Spanish that, that uh, a lot of uh, our heritage students go to these classes to connect with their roots because their parents were yeah. forced into assimilation. They were forced into assimilation, their parents, their grandparents, yeah. you know, That's and right. then they go to connect to their roots and they have a gringo teacher telling them their accent is not right. Their Spanish right. is not right. like no and it's the same with the dual language programs they are being marketed as a schools for like you say les les niños blanques the white children that actually it's great that you learn a lot of language but the priority should be the kids connecting to the roots you know yeah yeah spanish is Mm. different everywhere that it's spoken and in a second um i'm gonna have you dig into um a correction you just gave me um (laughs) niñas blanques and we're gonna talk about that in just a second because that's a really important topic of this conversation (laughs) and one that our community needs to be willing to have (laughs) um just a really interesting story um so my mother taught in in españa for a year (laughs) she went on a fulbright and um so she was teaching at a school here in Denver, um, which is, you know, it's it's from a very industrial area, historically very poor and very working class, just, mm-hmm. you know, and she was teaching Spanish and AP Spanish and these different courses. And so 
one thing that she was concerned about was leaving her kids who were majority Mexican kids mm. and having this Espanol, right, <laughs> come mm. and, you know, teach them. And uh, but he was incredible. He was from the El País Vasco. And um, he one of his first lessons mm. to the students was how Mexican Spanish is actually far more formal than peninsular Spanish from Spain, where he hey. said, you know, and he taught the whole history. He said, you know, is is your ancestors who mm -hmm. actually wanted to keep the language as it was. So probably the purest form of um, Castellano, like as, as he would call it, is actually what you all speak every day. And he's like, over in Spain, it's all Espanglés. Like, that's all we do. Like, we don't speak it. Mm -hmm. So anyone who tells you that, you know, Spanish from Spain is like the perfect and the ideal. He's like, they've never been to Spain. They have no idea. So just when you talk a little bit about these imagined hierarchies of language, mm -hmm. um, like that is one of the biggest myths um, that I hope we can kind of break down. Let's kind of go into this. So the next couple of questions, I think kind of can be wrapped into one and mm -hmm. it's around. So you are an advocate and a user of the Spanish language. Um, mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that you aren't interrogating it and offering critiques of the way that it's mm -hmm. spoken. And you're moving towards um, you, you've been a you've been a big promoter of linguistic inclusiveness. Um, okay. And I'm seeing more and more of it in different education spaces. But you were probably the first person I started learning about it from mm -hmm. um, looking at this kind of stuff. And I remember my first reaction to some of the posts. I was like, I don't even know how to say that. Like. <laughs> what's going on with the language like I'm, I'm gonna have to like relearn this completely exactly but I also don't speak the language that well anyway um but so talk to me a little bit about your interrogation of the Spanish language and your push towards linguistic inclusiveness and how did you become involved in that work and why is that work so important to you so, of course, I grew up, I mean, I grew up in dictatorship. And so imagine the sort of uh, prescriptivist um, language, linguistic approach I was taught uh, right. uh, growing up. It's very colonized, very, very yep. colonized and prescriptivist. Um, prescriptivist, I, you said. So yeah, prescriptivist and prescriptivism in linguistics is when you are... Um, very close stuff on the grammar rules and this is mm. correct and this is incorrect yeah yeah that's so so those rules are mm -hmm. I see oh wow I'm like learning things so so those so the people who believe that those mm. rules of the language are set in stone they're established mm. they cannot change are called proscriptivists see it's less wow. the, like, the school of thought that um centers on on grammar and and okay. you know and it's like very much uh not open-minded you're right to, right to change and it's a all constantly defending la rai la real academia de la lengua but the thing is um i read part of my course in in college was reading umberto maturana that i highly advise everybody to read um, Umberto Maturana has um, a lot of books about how our language is connected to emotion and, and feeling and how he has a beautiful word, lenguajear, 
to mm, language. Linguajear. Yeah, Oof. and a lot of Oof. my my a verb, not a noun. Sí, qué hermoso, ¿no? Vamos a lenguajear, las personas están lenguajeando, él decía. Y es, claro, wow. una, imagínate decir lenguajear, like to say lenguajear, ya es salirte del, the, the, like to come out of the rules of yep. prescriptivism. So he was talking It's alive, that, it's active, it's dynamic, it is. it's not static. It is, it is, it is. And he says that we negotiate, so we are negotiating this dialogue and it's, Our, the dialogue, it's, it's connected to our emotions and it's just so beautiful. And uh, we started yeah. that, uh, we studied that. And then that uh, sort of started opening my mind about, you know, language and, 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 and change and, uh, and how do we see language? And then when I went to, of course, when I moved to the United States, I was exposed to people like, Dr. Jose Medina, Nelson Flores, um, Jonathan Rosa, that are the yeah. people that I that are studied social linguistics, you know, and I learned what translanguaging was and and all yeah. these beautiful new researches that are not somehow mainstream yet. Ila, right. and this is the reason like a lot of people think language is set on stone because they are looking yep. for an authority to tell them what to say or who is correct when actually yep. language is created by people it's very democratic it's like yes. either the rae is it's a, agree or not we chileans create words every day uh, yeah. we have one of the most like i leave chile and then i come back and a new dictionary should be written because <laughs> yeah. todas las palabras that, that that we you know that we create on the daily and it's and it's so beautiful and i saw that in mexico city too and it's so beautiful and it's so vibrant and it's so um you know in chile we say tiene chispeza it has a spark chispeza. and it's like it has <laughs> that amazing. genius the genius yeah. of the re of the everyday people you know that person without being a scholar invented a new word you know yeah and this is what language is is that beautiful uh thing that is constantly changing that we humans are changing and um, yeah the 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 labor of the riot for real should be annotating the changes to keeping yeah. up with the changes but not telling us what to say but you know what That's the thing. The correct Spanish, the correct Castilian comes mm -hmm. from colonialism. Because yep. first, I mean, we have to recognize that Español is un lenguaje del colonizador. Like it it's, uh, they came here with the, there are, there are like historical documents written by, by people, by priests saying that we need to take this devil languages out of the people. Yeah. This yep. is how they call yep. indigenous languages. And and that was, that, that's colonization. And Spanish was yep. used to colonize. And then I, I what I see now, it's even though Spanish is the language of the colonizers, still doing harm around the world. Yeah. I see that there is a lot of Españoles, and, and <laughs> I'm not referring to the people, but to the languages, a lot of geolects that are reclaimed versions of Spanish they are not the language of the colonizer even though they are the language of the colonizer uh, yeah. and this is this is the reason Spanish is a subordinated language in the United States even though right. it's the language of the colonizer English hegemony is far more powerful around yep. the world 
than yeah. the hegemony of uh, Spanish. I mean, two things can be true at the same time. Spanish is the language yeah. of the colonizer. It oppressed, it erased other languages. Still, it was used as a tool of oppression, still used as a tool of oppression, and still a subordinate language that uh, causes people to be discriminated because they speak it or right. have ancestors who spoke it in the United States. So thinking about language, y lenguajear, influir, uh, there were identities that were non-binary and, and outside the canon of binary before colonization. A lot of right. indigenous um, communities had a, a, you know, what they call modern day to spirit or Muche and, and Mexico yeah. or Machihuella, Cantile. Like it's always related to um, shamanism and, and sacredness and somehow the third or the fourth or the fifth gender, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. And there were words in those languages for those gender expressions, which uh, a Spanish came to steal because yeah. there was no option. There was no lenguajear. ¿Cómo lenguajeamos esto? How yeah. do we language this identity? How do we language this identity? Yeah. Wow. So now, right now, that's deep, right? So right now, what uh, people think, oh, it's just this modern uh, pro, and in, in Chile, this use as a pejorative word, progre, like progressive, right. you know? Okay. This progre mentality, progre. blah, blah, blah. These, these are inventing words that don't exist. Yes, we do invent words that don't exist every day. But all uh, yeah, up. all words are made up, but uh, it's just recovering something that was missed and 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 making the language wider and richer right. so it can include everybody instead of being narrow and binary and keep on oppressing people. You know, it's a way of liberating modern day Spanish. Yeah. This is the way I see it. You know, it's hard as a person who had to reteach herself. I, <laughs> and I, relearning, I told, yeah. And relearning. I told my students when I first introduced the idea of non-binary Spanish, direct non-binary Spanish, I said, kids, I'm going to make mistakes because I grew up speaking yeah. binary and you hold me accountable and I hold you accountable uh for the mistakes we make and we as a community we grow together and 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 we build this just with the intention of being more inclusive you know that's the final yeah. intention and i told my native speakers my heritage students in my class it's okay to code switch if your family doesn't use um you know non-direct um Binary, no, right. non-binary direct, direct, not direct, non yeah, direct non-binary. Non so, yes, I wrote it down because I had never heard that before. So, <laughs> oh, I learned it from no, I my love it. Mi guru, uh, uh, se llama? Um, ooh, Artemis Lopez. <laughs> they are non-binary. Oh, okay. Linguist, uh, translator, interpreter from España. Uh, they were living in the United States and then they moved back to Vigo, España. Um, I Got learned it. all those all those technicisms from them. Yeah. And they are freaking amazing because they do translations in wow. uh, direct non-binary Spanish. So right. and, I, and I can imagine that it that it 
that it does actually feel like a new language when you're unfamiliar mm-hmm. with it and you're trying to get the practice in. So you you mentioned um, how language, and you mentioned this correctly, like I think mm-hmm. language is often one of the frontline um, weapons of oppression, right? Mm-hmm. It can be that way. And so this is not just a progre, like you were saying. This is not yeah. just a an intellectual exercise. Ooh, let's play around with the language and just see what happens. This is related to another really serious passion for you. And that is advocacy for trans children. Mm -hmm. Share a little bit about how this work with language directly interacts with your um, unapologetically pro-trans stances for youth and for our, our trans communities. So, of course, as everybody else, I grew up uneducated about the topic. I didn't know anything about it until I had my first transgender student. And and you have to remember that I teach, that I taught elementary. So they were really young. And and the first first time we got um, a non-binary student, we got trained you know, into understanding because, but of course it was assumed that none of us knew better and they were right. Mm -hmm. Right. So including our administration and everybody. And then uh, being in a progre school, (laughs) (laughs) I became part of the... Time to appropriate that word. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) To reclaim it. Vamos a reclamarla. That's Uh, right. So we, I was, I was involved in the gender, you know, sexuality committee to create a gender sexuality curriculum for lower school. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And it was, um, it was great uh, because we got to do a lot of training. We learned so many things. And that's when I realized that I had to switch my praxis in the way I was teaching Spanish, because even though I was very open-minded, and I understood everything, I still hadn't switched my linguistic approach to, you know, and so I started using, for example, in my classes, I started using uh, non-direct, non-binary language. So uh, I was like, it's like beating about the bushes. It's like saying general words in order to avoid gendering, you know? Uh, And one of my students, Oh, the beautiful non-binary kid went home and said uh, that they didn't feel included in my class. So oh, the mother, yeah. yeah. So the mother came to school, and my diversity equity director uh, talked to you know talked to her, and then I said, I feel bad that we're not having this conversation face to face. So I was like, what should I do? Uh, why are we dealing this with inter- intermediarios, yeah. you know? Uh, yeah, so yeah, one yeah. day I was out in doing like a dismissal duty and the mom came to me and I said, I'm so glad you came to me because I want to talk to you. And we had a meeting and now we're best friends. I'm not lying to you. We're best <laughs> oh, friends. Wow. No, and I, I believe said, you. I believe and you. I said, you know, um, I want to use, uh, you know, direct non-binary language, non-binary direct Spanish. I yeah. want it, but I'm afraid I'm going to get some pushback. And there were some parents that were very um, uh, difficult, problematic. 
So sure. uh, she went and talked to my equity diversity director and said, Francoise is going to use, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this language in classes and the, my kid needs it and we're paying for this school. And oh, uh, amazing. My diversity <laughs> equity director said, we're going to back you up. Okay, we're going to back you up. And that's, <laughs> that's how amazing. I started using. And that's when I told the kids, I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes together. But this is the language we're using. And this is how it got started. And this is how I saw this lab. There are no resources written in yeah, this language. Course. So I started creating my resources. And the, some people in my Instagram is like, can you upload it to your store so I can buy it too? <laughs> so they are buying it. And now I write everything. All my resources are in, wow. you know, um, I, I, I started, I start blacked out because I, I'm thinking in Spanish and lenguaje. Yeah, no, that's okay. Sí, en lenguaje Estás lenguajeando. Estoy lenguajeando <laughs> en dos lenguas. <laughs> so uh, the, now all my resources are, but this is how it got started. Like I needed that push and I'm so thankful to that kid. They are all grown up. Now that yeah. they were in second grade back then and now they are in sixth grade. I and think. now they're an adult we're friends no they are in sixth grade oh they're in sixth grade okay yeah yeah it's timeline. middle school yeah. no 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 yeah they are, they are, i'm friends with the mother i mean they were so close that she helped me and she helped me pack when i was moving here wow wow so uh, i went to the marches in the city hall of philadelphia with them and because i have a lot of people that are close to me that are non-binary now they are yeah. uh for example i have two good friends that are uh, such a source of inspiration too. They are also in Instagram, um, in Sky and Ace. And I learned so much from them and, and I know their struggles when they were kids. And then I had yeah. students that are, that are uh, trans and they're non-binary too. And they come with an open heart to my class to tell me that their teacher is not using the right words, you know. Mm. And uh, it's like I told you before, everything is for the children. That that's yeah. my gear, my motivation. What That's what fired me and made me move. If I yeah. didn't think this was important for them, because the suicide rate of, of uh, trans children is very high, is the highest. Yeah. If, yeah. if, if I didn't think this could save lives, I wouldn't do what I do. I see how essential it is that we all are in the same boat. And this is what I don't care about the, you know, the haters that come to my page telling me that I need to use some good Spanish. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, that that's That's so powerful because I think for sure... Um, if you go into certain areas of social media platforms, um, what you are saying is considered to be this, this newfangled, like foreign concept when it's actually one of the most native concepts to, to language in general, not just our languages. And so that, that's the other thing too, as, as you share about these different resources that you create and that you post, it's, 
there's a lot of people creating and posting resources, right? But the the way that you're, you know, and I'm I'm in I'm in PhD student world right now. Um, and but just the way yours is so embedded within research, but also in community-based research is is so profound for me. Um well this has been a really amazing conversation. I've had a blast with you. Um, before I let you go though, um, do you listen to hip hop music? I didn't even ask you that. You're asking me, and I I read that question when you sent me the pauteo, and I was like, how am I gonna decide? I'm a okay. '90s kid. I'm a '90s kid, so I got have it. so got many it. bands in my mind. I have okay. Tupac, Randy so let me give Steve. you some. Wait, wait. Before you start throwing the names out, let me let me uh, let me tell you some of the rules, and maybe this will help you. So okay. the first rule is that there are no rules. So no rules. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. This is not meant. So just like we talk about, just like you were sharing about how uh, we lenguajear, we also hip hop right? So like, it's a verb. That's right. And so what we do is we understand that what your top five is today may be different from what it's going to be tomorrow, maybe different mm -hmm. from what it was when you, like me, were growing up in the golden mm -hmm. age of hip hop music, the 90s. Um, it may just be different. So it's not set in stone. It's not forever. It's just a snapshot, right? The second yeah. thing is, the second rule is it doesn't have to be a hierarchy. Like hierarchies Please. are colonial vestiges, right? Yes, they so, are. They are. Exactly. So it's so it's just five and they can and you can rank them if you want to. Some people like to rank things. I don't necessarily like to do that. I don't. And even with the five, that's also open to interpretation. So I will introduce you to the Eric Hale rule. Um, mm -hmm. My good friend, Eric Hale, 2021 Texas Teacher of the Year, um, did an episode with us where he said, all right, so I got a five-way tie for number one, and I got a three-way tie for number two, and a two-way tie for number three. By the time he was done, he must have said like 25 rappers. Um, that's completely acceptable. Um, because what are numbers? Numbers are manufactured. They're invented just like words. So I don't know. Does that help? Si, si me ayuda. And, and ah, also bueno, you, bueno. you gotta, you gotta think that I, I, that I'm multilingual. So imagine the amount of rappers Ooh. that I. <laughs> oh yeah. You, you already have access to like two or three times of the of the rappers and performers that we may otherwise get on this show. All right. So are you ready for your top five? I am. Uh, I, I had to give you a little piece of information. Mi hermano, it's, it's a chef, but he raps. He is, oh, he goes okay. performance, he sings, he's a, es un hip hopero. Así que, like, oh, we I love, love yeah, this is like our passion. And, and he remembers when he was little, we had a 12 year difference. And I would listen to hip hop with my sister and he was little in kindergarten dancing with us. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. So what you're saying yeah. is that after he goes and chops it up, he goes and chops it up again. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's cool. I mean, well, no, I mean, that's, a, that's the thing that's so interesting because like, if you, if you love language and it's playful and creative and dynamic yes. possibilities, I don't know how you don't love hip hop because um right because it is you're reinventing the language every single time totalmente. totalmente so i know i know i i have so many favorites and i know i'm gonna forget some names 
but um, <laughs> voy a empezar con español because All right. that's my mother language. I love Anita yep. Tiju. Oh, yes, me too. She was, yeah, <laughs> she was picked like one of the best. Uh, Residente yeah. también, Orishas. Residente. Oh, yes. And, oh, my gosh. And, and I'm mentioning that a lot of our reggaetoneros right now started as rappers, you know? That's and right. then our merengueros de los 90 también. Like, yep. I was, I was talking to my... <laughs> sí, I was talking to my to my brother the other day about fulanito, you know, fulanito. ilegales. They were all rapping yeah. and, and merengue. That's right, they were. So, like, that's my top tier, even though I don't have a hierarchy because it's my language yeah. and a lot of people overlook them. I feel like they yep. overlook them. Y por, y por, por supuesto, Daddy Yankee. <laughs> Lo yeah, amo. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yep, that's right. And you have to, you have to, even though yeah. he supported McCain in 08, ah, it's okay. No, no but it, you know, the thing is that, you know, we, we can't, first of all, I don't have to hang out with him, so it's fine. Yes. Um, but, um, but just to know like the legacy of the music, like I think, yes. I think that y you can think of a person's great art and realize that they may have less imperfect politics and beliefs. And it's not saying it's okay. It's just, these are the realities. Whack politics, great art. We keep it moving. Yeah. This is like, this is great. Like Residente. Um, I actually used to use um, Antipatriarca. Oh, yeah. And, um, and then Somos Sur. Somos Sur is like an ah, anthem uh, sí. for me with uh, Sharia Mansur and ah, such sí. good music. Sí. So you indicated yeah, yeah. that you... You have like an Espanol list, right? Um, so you started Espanol. with that. Yes. Okay. And, then, and then, of course, I had to, like, I my 90s, you know? So Randy mm -hmm. and C, Tupac, Tupac. He's mm. amazing. He was. Yep. He's still with us, though, right? And that's, well, they arrested yeah. somebody that they're charging with the killing. So it's interesting. Oh, yeah. Look, the, we are so invested into that that my mom brought out that conversation today at lunch. Oh wow! My mom, <laughs> Your mom's like, "Sabes qué, mija?" Sí, sí. No, que ya, mató ya vieron, sí, ya vieron que el asesino de Tupac, porque ella sabe que my brother and I that live in here with her yeah. are like very much invested into oh, that. Of course, and of course. We love, no, Pac like, was speaking to us back then. Pac was speaking to us back then. Still the best storyteller in the history of hip hop for me. Oh. Sí. Not the best rapper, but Look, the best storyteller. Yes, I would say the lyrics were so poetic. And like from mm -hmm. the new kids, I would say I love Kendrick Lamar and I love Jayco. Yep. So if you yes. ask me, and and then I love K-pop and I love uh, my <laughs> rappers, yes. my rappers from BTS, Namjoon and Yoongi and, and what's the name, J-Hope. Because, you know, I see them rapping so fast in Korean and English. And I think yeah. that as a linguist, I'm a linguist, you know, at heart. As a linguist, yeah. I'm like, man, that's, yeah. that's hard. It just goes to show the pervasiveness of not only hip hop, but of wanting to be inventive and creative with the language. Like, that's why, that's why I love Eminem. Like, oh, I didn't yeah. like him at first. But the 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 way that he's able to pivot and adjust and build onto things like and I, I would imagine he's probably the best freestyler outside of um, outside of uh, Big Pun, right? 
Um, yeah, I agree with but you. Also, but this whole idea of how language can be so dynamic and um, like, that's why I love MC Solar, uh, who raps in like French Congolese in English. Um, My brother loves him. And we Solar. listen to <laughs> NC, the, um, C, NCT Supreme too, that are French. Oh, oh yeah. Man. I mean, all these people rapping in 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 the language that is not uh, hegemonic, which is English. I still love my rappers in English, though. But uh, oh, yeah. uh, it's just it gets. To but even heart, they're right? like, mm-hmm. even they're challenging the the hegemony oh, yeah. of English, right? Of, oh yeah. Of, like I, I had a, I had a teacher, and she was actually the best teacher I ever had. But she was definitely in that choice American English, like kind of you know, it was the time. But um, but in that, but rap and hip-hop always was a challenge to that limited notion of of language totally totally totally. well this is way more than a top five but it's perfect (laughs) um so what we're going to do with this amiga Mm -hmm. francoise is we are going to create a spotify playlist and so this is what's kind of fun is because you gave me the artists and so what i'm going to do is i'm actually going to put the tracks that i think of when i think of these artists and it'll be interesting to see what you think about that playlist but that playlist will come out with this episode um i love that Francois thank you first of all this has been an amazing no conversation i have been looking forward to this for years and it was worth the wait mm-hmm. um where can people like as if nobody as if people don't know where to find you where do people find your work and how do people follow and support what you do so uh the instagram account the woke spanish teacher it's my main like um voice into the world in social media and in my bio there is a link tree where people have access for example to my portfolio to my store and of course any sort of support that people would like to give me and I'm shadow banned now <laughs> in Instagram really so, yeah so any like any I don't appear on feeds or searchers a lot of my followers told me that's why I have oh, been having wow. like little engagement I usually get uh, shadow ban when I talk about um, politics or when I talk ah. about transgender community Ah, so, right. Because no one else I'm, is saying anything about that anywhere. Yeah, um, <laughs> but I'm used okay. to it. I'm used to it. I don't know if someone puts a complaint and this is how it works. I don't know. But any right. sort of engagement and support there. And of course, if you want to bring me to a school, I give like a beautiful webinar to the Miracosta College. Uh, it was for teachers and students and the use of inclusive Spanish. You okay. know, uh, no, I can do I can do that for colleges. And now I'm going to New York City. I'm going to be in October there. Uh, if you hey, want to hire NYC. me. Yes, I'm going to be presenting at the International School of Brooklyn. I'm going to be talking to parents, to students and to teachers. And oh I'm so gosh, thrilled. Yeah, I'm so thrilled yeah. because it's such a wonderful community. But I'm going to be there a month. So if someone else in the surrounding area wants to hire me, for a workshop okay. or a presentation, they can reach out to me in my old information is in my in the link in my bio in my Instagram account. Yeah, people's let's let's come through for the woke Spanish teacher. Like 
you know, we know that we're all having these conversations, but that this is a bona fide expert on these things that we want to be talking about anyway. Well, I wish you safe travels. So exciting. Um, I'll be looking forward to it. I I see your content um, on Instagram. So that that makes me happy. Um, But yeah, folks, give it a like, give it a follow, give it a click, go to that link tree. Um, It is not free for for Francoise to do this incredible work. It is a labor of love, but it is still a labor. And so do everything you can to support her. Uh, Francoise Tenu, thank you so much for joining me on the Chicano Logs today. No problem. And I forgot to tell you, I'm on Unseated Diaguita uh, uh, in Chango Territory in Chile. I forgot <laughs> okay. to give my, my land acknowledgement, oh, which I usually do. Yeah. So um, yeah. we can we can set the example doing it at the end. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. We are all on occupied and unceded land. Uh, this is being recorded the day after Orange Shirt Day, um, yes. which which is a commemoration and a reminder that all indigenous children matter. Uh, for Francois Tenu, I am Gerardo Munoz, your 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year, little Chicanito from the East Side. Um, we will conclude this episode by saying Consafos. Ayo, attention, dedicated educators. As the school year approaches and begins, now is the perfect time to take control of your financial future. We understand that being an educator requires an incredible amount of time and effort during the school year, so now is the best time to prioritize your finances before the busy school year really gets going. And honestly, you got to make time for this stuff, people. We know this. Um, That's why I want to introduce you to a trusted financial advisor who specializes in working with educators like you. Meet Alex Sierra, a certified financial planner with Cetera Investors. Alex provides educators with planning for their most important financial milestones. He has a deep understanding of the important strategies related to teachers and their retirement. This is, of course, the school pension system and retirement programs specifically for teachers like us. Imagine heading into the upcoming school year and future years with confidence, knowing that your finances are in order. By taking time now to work with Alex, you can lay a solid foundation for your financial goals and secure a brighter future. Don't let the busyness of the school year hold you back from achieving your financial dreams. Visit Alex's website at www.toriandalex.com. Dot Cetera Investors, that's C E T E R A Investors.com slash two dope. And of course, you got to spell out two dope, T O O D O P E, to schedule an initial virtual consultation. And here's the best part mention the discount code two dope during your first consultation and receive 25% off in their subscription based financial planning packages. This is really cutting edge, y'all. This is a new way of ensuring that people, even who don't have a ton of wealth to start with, can still start building that wealth. Take this opportunity to invest in your financial well-being before the school year kicks into high gear. Click the link in the description section of this podcast for more information about Cetera Investors. Remember, your financial success is just as important as your student's success.
Let's start this school year on the right financial foot. Cetera Investors is a marketing name of Cetera Investment Services. Securities and insurance products are offered through Cetera Investment Services, LLC, doing insurance business in California as CFG STC Insurance Agency, LLC. Member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Cetera Investment Advisors, LLC. California Insurance License Number Z. 0L05650. Alexander Sierra, CFP, is located at 605 East Huntington Drive, Suite 203, Monrovia, California, 91016, and can be reached at phone number 626-408-1333, extension 306.